Invitations can be a funny thing, huh? You say, why is it so funny? It's just an invitation. You ever thrown a party and no one comes? Um, a couple weeks ago, our Macy, our oldest, was, was home before she went back to Texas A&M. It was her last night here. And so we reached out to our missional community. Hey, y'all meet us at Midway Barbecue and we'll have a meal together and it'll be a lot of fun. And we'll say bye to Macy and all that good stuff. And I wrote their names down. The Katners said no. The Harringtons said no. The Myers said maybe we could be there. The Greens said no. The Blattmans said no. I texted back, epic fail. Now, I asked them like 30 minutes before we wanted to be there. <laughs> but still, my wife was just telling me we have some friends up north of here. They're throwing a big party for their daughter. Got a big uh, slide, water slide's going to be there. It's going to be fun. It's going to be great. And almost everybody that they've asked to be there, they're her friends, for one reason or another, have had to decline the invitation. Or you maybe you ever been there where you hear about an incredible, fun time that people had and you didn't because you realized you weren't invited. You ever had that? Oh, man. We're going to look at a story that Jesus told this morning about an invitation. An invitation to a feast. The good thing about this particular invitation is it's an invitation that every single one of us has received. The question for you and me is how will we respond to the invitation? We started this last week, the parables of Jesus. We said these are earthly stories with heavenly meaning. And last week's and this week, focusing in on what does it look like, what does it mean, what's involved in entering the kingdom of God. Because again, they're earthly stories. Remember we said Jesus telling stories about fishing and families and finances and Pharisees and all of the Fs. They're earthly stories, but they've got heavenly meaning. They've got truth about the kingdom of God. Last week, we looked at the parable of the sower, or maybe more specifically, the parable of the soils. That the good news of the gospel message has been sown, and you have heard it. But what is your heart like? in response to that gospel message, a hard heart, a shallow heart, a strangled heart, or an open heart. This week, we look at a wedding feast to which we've all been invited. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 14. If you don't have a Bible, please find it on your phone. And if you keep coming back, bring a Bible with you. Matthew chapter 22, verse 1. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, 
The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. God has prepared for you and for me a feast in the good news, in the gospel of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In this story, we have a king, a man. It's, it's literally, and I don't like to do this much, in the Greek, it's the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man, a king, who gave a wedding feast for his son. This is not just a man who's giving a wedding feast. This is a king who's giving this feast. And it's not just a feast. It's a wedding feast, and those are often the most beautiful and extravagant. And it's not just a king hosting a wedding feast for anybody. It's a king hosting a wedding feast for his own son. Can you imagine what this would have looked like? How lavish it would have been, excessive it would have been, extravagant, gorgeous, grand, opulent. I like thesaurus.com. It's helpful. Imagine the banquet hall that it would have been held in and probably the gardens outside that this king owned. And the lighting in the inside and the sunlight outside and then as the sun would begin to go down, the lanterns that would be everywhere, the decor would have been absolutely off the charts. The wine and the drink that would be served, the spread of food, the colors and the flowers, the music that was playing, the laughter, the singing, the joy, the happiness, the life. Can you imagine what this wedding feast for the king's son would have been like? Not often, but sometimes as a staff, we'll talk about five sensing an event. When you're going to host an event, maybe even at your house, but here at the church, you Sometimes a good idea to five sense it. When people walk in, what do I want them to see? What kind of decor do I want to be out? What, what kind of lighting do I want to be happening? And what do I want them to see? What do I want them to smell when they walk in? My dog? You know, ho hopefully not. So we light some candles or we spray some stuff because we want people, when they walk in, the smells to hit them. What do we want it to taste like? What's the food? Are we just going to throw out some nasty old, you know, cookies we bought at the back shelf of H-E-B? Or are we going to make some cookies? So we got that smell going on, and they're just going to be absolutely delicious to the taste. And what kind of drinks are we going to have out for people to enjoy? And what is it going to feel like? Is the temperature just right? Are we going to have people sitting on hard chairs? Are we going to sit in the living room on soft chairs? Which one have I left out? Taste and hearing. What do we want them to hear? What kind of music do we want to have playing when they walk in? And how loud does it need to be? And all that sorts of thing. Well, can you imagine for this king's wedding feast for his son, he probably, this king probably had somebody in charge and probably five sensed this thing to the core. You can email me later, but just recently, Tara and I and Molly, our 14-year-old, watched The Godfather together. And some of you all will remember that, that movie and the great wedding party early on in the movie. 
And as we're watching that and the great party, we're sitting there and Terry goes, ooh, that looks like so much fun. The dancing, the music, the laughter, the food, all of it, so much fun. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven's like that. The kingdom of God is like that. It's a wedding feast that a king throws for his son. You read the words again. Lavish and excessive and extravagant and gorgeous and grand and opulent. God has prepared a feast in his gospel for those who believe. And we experience it truly in this life, but fully in the life to come. Unconditional love. Forgiveness of sins. Purpose in life. Answers to the deepest questions. Assurance in the midst of our trials. The presence of God in our loneliest of times. Joy in the midst of our sorrow. Peace that surpasses comprehension. And on and on and on. What God has done through Jesus Christ meets the needs of every soul. The world often thinks of God as a cosmic killjoy. That he's just up there looking for someone to have fun so he can come down and put a stop to it. That he is a God of deprivation, if you will, just looking to suck all of life and satisfaction out of it. Don't do this and don't do that. But the reality is nothing could be further from the truth. The picture of the Bible is a picture of a great God and a glorious God and a good God who created the world and created us to rule the world in his place to know him and love him and enjoy him and trust him and obey him and find our greatest satisfaction in him. The psalmist said, in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Of course, our sin and our rebellion against God messed all of that enjoyment up. We look to find life and joy and satisfaction in so many other things rather than in him who created us, created life, knows the best of life, and at his hand is right hand are pleasures forevermore. The best of life is when you and I trust and obey God. We often don't believe it. We often think, you just don't know as much as I do about this one. God, I'll tell you later. And we'll turn and go our own way seeking to find life and satisfaction, security, joy, and peace. But every time that we trust and obey him, we find that his is the best of life. 
Like I said, we've all gone the wrong way. We've all turned away from him and sinned against him and looked to find all those things and everything but him. And for it, we deserve his wrath. He's great and he's glorious and we have treated him as if he is not. And the Bible says that it's appointed a man to die once and after that to face judgment. And rightly so. But, but, but in the gospel, God offers to sinners like you and me forgiveness of our sins and reconciliation to him and peace and purpose and answers and the like. A, a banquet of joy. A banquet of love, a banquet of purpose, a banquet of peace, a banquet of presence to be enjoyed now and in fullness forevermore in the age to come. And he invites us to it. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast. So apparently, there's a group of people, they, they had been invited, they maybe had received the invitation. I thought this morning, if you've ever seen The Count of Monte Cristo, what an incredible movie, an incredible story, and he begins to send out those invitations to the ball, and it is going out and out and out and out and out, the invitations just over and over and over, and they've been invited and now everything is ready, and so the, the slaves, the servants are sent out to those who've been invited to say, hey, everything's ready, come on. And they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other slaves saying, tell those who've been invited, behold, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fat and livestock are all butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention. They went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. We'll get there and we'll talk about the response here. The king was enraged and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to the slaves, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways and a great... And as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. He has prepared an incredible feast to be enjoyed, and he invites and 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 invites. And invites. Come, enjoy the wedding feast of my son. Enjoy the banquet of blessings that come through the gospel, sinners. Come and have his love and his peace and his joy and his satisfaction. Come, come, come. But some were unwilling. It's seemingly completely unnatural in the story. Unwilling? Who in the world would be unwilling to come to a feast like this one? 
It's almost like surely there was a mistake. That's why they get another invitation. He sent out the other slaves saying, tell those who've been invited, behold, everything's ready. They couldn't, couldn't believe that with the bounty of the joy of this feast that any would say, no. Is that you? You've heard the gospel message over and over and over again. But you've said no. I don't want it. I don't need it. There's the unwilling. There's also these indifferent. Verse 5. They paid no attention. Indifferent, careless. And it may be, and this will echo back to what we saw last week, that they were being strangled a bit by the cares of this world. But they paid no attention. They were, they were disinterested. That there's a spiritual nature to life that goes beyond what we can see and feel and touch and taste and hear. There is a God who has created all things and we are made in his image to know him, trust him, obey him, love him and we have sinned against him and we've been separated from him and there are desperate needs of the soul that we have that God in his grace and mercy and love and kindness has met through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we, each and every one of us, desperately in need of the forgiveness of our sins and desperately in need of being reconciled to God and back in relationship with him who is the source of life and peace and satisfaction and joy. But the spiritual nature of life for some, it's all about what they can see and feel and taste and touch and hear. It's all about physical life and the, the spiritual nature of life. They're just inattentive. They pay no attention. They went their own way, one to his own farm and another to his business. Remember last week, some of the seed is sown among the thorns. And, the, and Jesus interpreted that, the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things. Choke it out. There's nothing wrong with a farm. There's nothing wrong with a business. But there's seemingly nothing urgent in this story that they just had to get to. There were just other things on their mind that strangled out the most important things of life. 
Terry Johnson commenting on this. When it comes time to decide between the demands of money or pleasure or business and the demands of God, God loses. Another Ronald Rollheiser, I think I said that right. He said this about us, goodness. We, for every kind of reason, good and bad, are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. It is not that we have anything against God, depth, and spirit. We like these. It's just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, and more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, and the shopping mall, and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in church. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. Is that you? Still others are hostile. You've got the unwilling, the indifferent, and now these are hostile. The rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. In its context, Jesus has in his sights the leadership of Israel. to whom God had again and again and again reached out to, calling them to obedience to their Messiah. And throughout the Old Testament, he had sent his prophets, and they would persecute them and kill some of them. And then as the John the Baptist came on the scene to talk about the coming of the Lord, they beheaded him and now looking forward to when Jesus would die and then rise and ascend and send forth his people, they too would go out to begin to proclaim and call people to faith in Jesus. But what would happen? Jesus would be killed. His disciples would be persecuted and killed as well. And this gospel we'll, we'll see we'll, that had been presented initially to Israel will go out to all the nations. But even in the midst of that kind of context, as this gospel has gone out to all of the nations, we see the same kinds of responses, not just in the leadership of Israel in Jesus' day, but in us as well. People who are unwilling, people who are indifferent, and people who are hostile to the message of the gospel. They don't want a sovereign God who is in control of all things. They don't want to be called a sinner who has rebelled against God. They don't want to hear the message of judgment that is to come. They think it ridiculous and offensive that they would be called to humble themselves before the God who created them and repent of their sins and trust in Jesus because they can't be good enough to earn his favor. It's not merely that they're 
unbelieving of it and indifferent to it. They hate it. Verse 7, the king was enraged, sent his armies to destroy those murderers, set their city on fire. Now, that's, that's, the, that's the language of the earthly story. And Jesus, I think, is simply making a point that his provision in the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ, is so bountiful and good and glorious and gracious and kind and merciful and loving. But if it is spurned, there is no other name under heaven by which a man or woman can be saved. And it is appointed unto man to die once and after that to face judgment. The wages of sin is death. Separation from God eternity. But the invitation continues to go. Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways, probably referring to the main roads that would go out from the city and start heading into the smaller cities and into the country. Some think it, 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 it's talking about to the crossroads where you would find many different kinds of people gathered, but, but either way, the point's the same. Go out on the main highways, as many as you find there, invite them to the feast. They went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good. We'll come back to that. And the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. Again, this in the story, in the context, probably has the judgment that would come upon unbelieving Israel, and then this gospel that would go out to all the nations. And many, many, from many peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations, the world over would come to enjoy this wedding. And so As this gospel message has come to us and the promises from God that in his son, Jesus Christ, we can have forgiveness to God's family and the promises of eternal life and purpose for our life and unconditional love and the presence of the Lord with us and his assurances and promises and hope-filled Amen. We have said yes, and we have again so much more to come. That little phrase, both evil and good, the interpreters are taking it at least two different ways. It could be that, that the evil that Jesus is talking about in the language of the story is, is those who would be thought to be unclean by the religious leaders of the day. In the, two, in the couple parables before Jesus had talked about in chapter 21, verse 31, truly I say to you that the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. And he says it again, the tax collectors and the prostitutes. Those the Jewish leaders would have found unclean for ceremonial, moral, or ethical reasons. 
One guy said it like this, God invites all who will come to his feast of love, his feast of forgiveness and peace and joy and purpose and eternal life. No one is excluded. However, wicked, evil, morally degraded, twisted, perverse, or violent, it matters not. The invitation is full, broad, and unlimited. Amen. The gospel promises are for anybody and everybody, no matter who they are, where they've been, or what they've done. could be that that he means by evil, or it could be what we find in verses 11 and following. The king is going to notice that someone is there seemingly enjoying the feast who maybe shouldn't be. Verse 11, and maybe the point to be made here is that God only welcomes those to this feast who honor his son. When the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, throw him into the outer darkness in the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Some think, and I, I'm, I'm probably with them, that this is referring to what we might say are false disciples. People who hear the gospel message, and they're not so much what they, sure of what they think about that, but, but they like kind of being a part of it all. They might even call themselves Christians. They may even go to church. They may even do some, quote, religious things. They profess to be a Christian, but they don't possess Jesus. Their life shows no evidence that they have been transformed by God. His clothing gave him away. He tipped his hat, but he did not bend his knee to the sun. The gospel message is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not... God is great, and you are a sinner in rebellion against God. God sent Jesus, and all you have to do is check a box, and you're in. All you have to do is say the words of this prayer, and you're good. And you can go back and live the life you've always been living. No. The gospel calls us to repentance and faith. It calls us to realize that our problem is our sin. And what we need desperately is forgiveness of our sin and help to try to overcome it. The gospel is not, ooh, 
all I got to do is say a prayer and I can go back to living the way I was? Not at all. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus apart from our good works. But when we truly put our faith in Jesus Christ, it leads to good works. It leads to a changed life. Not a perfect life. Not a perfect life at all. But like the scripture says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We're not saved by our good works. We are saved, if you will, for good works. I think it was Luther, the great leader of the Reformation, who said, We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. It always evidences itself in a changed life. Because that's what God does for us in salvation. He takes we who were dead and makes us alive. Matthew Henry, the wedding garment in the story is a frame of heart and a course of life agreeable to the gospel and our profession of it. Have you come to God through his son Jesus with a humble heart, a repentant heart that says, I'm not just here for the goodies. I'm here because I need forgiveness. I need a king. Have you honored Jesus? in such a way. Close with this. If you have never said yes to this invitation, maybe today's your day. There is a feast prepared by God in the gospel. And you can have the forgiveness of sins and unconditional love and purpose in life, and the presence of the Lord, and the community of his people, and the answers to life's biggest questions, and on, and on, and on, and on. And the invitation is yours. This is not a party you haven't been invited to. But it is a party you can say yes or no to. I would urge you to say yes to Jesus and come to him with a humble heart and seek from him salvation forgiveness reconciliation new life eternal life 
in him. And then one more for those of us who have said yes to this. Here's a lesson you and I maybe can take from it. See there in verse 9? Go therefore. Does that sound like something that's coming later in the book of Matthew? Go therefore and make disciples. We noted it a couple weeks ago when we looked at the Great Commission that the word go in Matthew 28 is a participle. And so it could be translated, as you are going, make disciples. But gave you a few reasons at least that most of the scholars think that that participle carries with it the imperative force of the command, make disciples. So a good translation is, go make disciples. Well, this one, there's no um, ambiguity. This is, therefore, go. Go to the main highways, and as many as you find, invite them to the feast. This would be Jesus and his disciples, or it would be the disciples after Jesus had died, risen, given them his final commission, and then ascended into heaven. What they were to do then was to go, therefore, to the main highways. They were to take this message of the of the banquet of blessing that comes through the gospel to as many people as they absolutely could. And by God's grace and his plans now for 2,000 years, it's been a going. And somewhere along the way, maybe it was your mama, your daddy, maybe it was your brother, your sister, a Sunday school teacher, maybe it was a campus leader, Somewhere along the way, somebody shared with you that there's a wedding feast of God's glorious grace. And you said yes. When you and I said yes, that message got entrusted to us. And now we get to be the ones who can entrust it to others. Go, therefore. A feast of God's love has been prepared for any and all who will say yes to King Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, would you help me? I believe with all my heart, most everyone in here has said yes to Jesus Christ. Would you help us to go, therefore, and take this incredible message of your grace and love to our friends, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to those you bring our way. But surely, Lord, there's some here today as well who've never said yes. They've been unwilling. They've been inattentive to the things of God, maybe even hostile towards you. Would you change their hearts and give them an open, soft heart to the gospel message? And might they, this morning, for the very first time, cry out to Jesus for forgiveness 
and that he would be the king, the leader, the Lord of their life. And we will pray it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.